ever been in the military is not one of the things I've ever done in my life. So don't think by any figment of your imagination that I'm an ex-soldier because I'm not one at all. But I am a soldier for Jesus Christ. And you are also in Jesus' name. This is the third session of our series on a soldier's endurance. Soldier's endurance. And uh, the, the series is Purposeful Fruitfulness, but the title is Soldier's Endurance. And uh, I want to appreciate God that he has been helping us since we started looking at the series on Purposeful Fruitfulness. And the next two charges of Paul that he gave to his son Timothy are very, very important for us. And I want to stress the importance of those two things today. They are very important for us today and next week we will look at a soldier's endurance and next week we will look at the soldier and civilian affairs based on what Paul said to his son Timothy. Now, we have quite a few things to do in the service today, so I'd like to crave your indulgence. I will speak very quickly to make some of those things come to pass in the what we want to discuss. And I'll be giving you some scriptures. Some will project. Some I will just ask you to write down. So get a pen or open your tablet, notepad, or whatever. Just make some notes so that when you are listening to the message again, it will help you to follow very well. I am very amazed at how we are. I went to a restaurant in Zambia with my friend, Dr. John Lokomona, in the year 2012. It is his home country. And uh, we went to a nice Porsche restaurant and, uh, you know, lovely place. You would think you were anywhere in Europe. And there are quite a lot of places like that, you know, well done up nicely. And we started eating. And we started, we were about eight of us in the group, or ten of us actually. We started sat around the big table and this waitresses come and they were taking our orders. No notepad, no tablet, no telephone, no device whatsoever. They were just looking at us like that. And here we were ordering for first course, second course, and drinks. Complicated food. We were ordering all those things. And, and I was amazed. None of them was writing anything down. I'd never seen a thing like that. When they all left, about four of them, when they all left and they, they, they went to the kitchen to start preparing our food, I asked my friend, I said, this is amazing stuff. I'd never seen this. These people didn't write down anything. He said, how? I said, how will they remember this? And he said to me, he said, don't mind them. They would not remember anything. <laughs> I said, ha. Ah. So we waited. And when they came back, it was so true to it. They came with everything we ordered. Everything we ordered was present. But as soon as they were landing, they put one big, large bottle of beer in my front like that. <laughs> And from that place, everything went crazy. They gave everybody else everything. And so I said, this is the problem of our people. We lack attention to detail and we refuse to document. We refuse to document. One of the things that the queen said, the prime minister, one of the ex-prime ministers said in the many testimonials over the last week, the late queen, her majesty, the late queen, 
what uh, one of the things she said to one of the prime ministers when the prime minister came to him to her and was talking about another behavior of somebody in parliament he said and she, she looked at him and he said you know what it's not new we saw this in the 60s and the, and she explained everything that happened in that government to this prime minister and that prime minister said it helped him because she documents things she documents them and she puts them in memory i want to encourage us as we go through this series, what do you remember from last week? What do you remember from the two weeks before? How does it help you to fit? Did you revise last week? Did you revise two weeks, which began the series? Did you revise last week? And how do you intend to engage this week? This is how we learn. But when we just appear, no structure, no noting down things, we find that we struggle some more. So I want to encourage us to please... Let's be systematic as best as possible. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 is our theme for today. The Bible says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Let's read it together. Everybody is on the screen. You therefore must endure hardship. Sorry, verse 3. Verse 3. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. You are reading? That is verse 1. Go to verse 3. Thank you. Everybody, let's read it together. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. One more time. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. Learn to endure hardship. Now, here was Paul charging this potentially strong ministry leader in Timothy. Younger man, but with a deep sense of potential of what he was going to accomplish. First thing he said, be strong in the grace, verse 1. He said, be strong in the grace. And then in verse 2, he said the things, and we said that means that we should grow and understand strength in the grace of God. And then he said, live a life of impact, in verse 2. Thank you, you can take down the verse. He said, live a life of impact, in verse 2. He said that the things you have heard from me, that's what we looked at last week, the things you have heard from me. He said, commit this to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. So live a life of impact in such a way that it impacts others. You see, it is one thing to live a life. It is another thing to be transgenerational about your life. It is one thing to live a life and fulfill destiny as a person. But it is another thing altogether to be able to see people who succeed in the life you have imparted them and what, how you have guided them. So he said, do that. But now he comes to one thing. He said, if you are living like that, you must learn something. He said, you therefore, my son, you must know how to endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. Because if you don't know how to endure hardship, your ministry cannot thrive. Your spiritual journey cannot end the way you expect it to end. And so for a Christian, hardship relates more to endurance. Many times we have heard, especially those of us that have been in this faith for some time, we have been told that a Christian is just born to suffer. And so whatever we are facing, we just say, oh Lord, I'm suffering. This is part of a Christian suffering and so on and so forth. Now, to a large extent, that has some element of truth, but it's not the whole truth. It's not a Christian life. It's not just one that because you're a Christian, you just suffer for the sake of suffering. No. It is nothing to do with you just suffering for the sake of it. We must understand that sufferings rather, endurance through sufferings for us means how to sustain that power that God puts in us that we are having by his grace 
and making an impact, how to sustain it through the various trials and temptations we will be facing in life. So to endure is more than just continuing to exist. You don't say, oh, I'm just, I'm just existing. I'm enduring. God is on the throne. Brother, are you suffering too? That's not God's intention. No, that's not God's plan. It is continuing to exist in the same manner, even before as before, whatever the trial or the suffering is. We must understand that hardship comes in a variety of ways. They come to us by way of temptations. They come to us at times by way of illnesses. They come to us by, uh, by way of social things like losing of jobs, broken relationships. How many people have given up their faith for these things? When the temptations to, to stand for God become so strong, some people just cower out and they give it up. If you grew up in the part of the world I, I was born into in northern Nigeria, there was a time in the 80s when we saw physical assault on us as Christians. I was very young, but I remember very clearly. I would have died many times in those things, especially in the year 1991. When uh, I've I, I told you that story many times when I was driving as a young 22-year-old, and here I was caught in the mob of Islamic militants who were about to kill me because they were killing people like me. And many people gave up their faith. Many people died. Children died. Young people died. So some parents gave up their faith because of it. Some people lost their husbands. Some people lost their wives and so on. And people give up their faith for these things. These are very hard realities. We must understand that none of these things, even to those extremes, must be strong enough to make us give up our faith. So everyone of us must understand what we call persecution today in our world, especially in the Western world, is no persecution at all. What we face in terms of being rejected and being forced to accept whatever we feel are agendas that are anti-scriptures are no persecutions compared to what some of our brothers and sisters who name the name of the Lord like us are facing in their own countries where on a Sunday to Sunday basis they cannot afford to meet in one place because they will be killed. If they know that they met in a place, they must not meet there next Sunday. They go underground and meet elsewhere on this planet today. These are part of the Christian sufferings. But we must all understand that we could be persecuted for our faith. He said we must know how to endure those things as hardships. We have a generation that is so wishy-washy that the slightest, the slightest thing that the devil just throws, even very little thing that doesn't even matter, they give up. They stop belonging to the, to the fellowship of the saints. They stop praying with the saints. They stop fellowshipping with the saints. They stop doing the things that they should do as Christians. Because they are going through something. The plan of the enemy is very simple. It's to make you and I give up our faith. It's to make us faint or to make us give up our faith. We must continue to resist him by endurance. The Bible talks about those that wait upon the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31, you can write that down. He said they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 40 verse 31. At the same time he said in Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. He said do not be weary in well doing. Because you will reap if you faint not. Thank you very much. That's Isaiah 40 31. And the same thing with Galatians 6 9. There are many scriptures that encourage us not to faint because there is a potential to faint. Please put Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10. The Bible says, if you faint in the day of your testing, Proverbs 24, 10. If you faint in the day of your adversity, then your strength is small. 
The grace of God that you have bought inside you. Yeah, thank you. Let's read it together. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Because there is a day of adversity. There is a day of your trying. There's a day of your testing. Christianity doesn't mean that every day is a, found, is a, is a, is a, is a day of partying. It's a day of just rejoicing. There are days that you will be tested. You will be, you will, you will be attacked. Your, your faith will be challenged to the very, very core. And you must understand this as a child of God, that that doesn't mean you are a sinner. That doesn't mean you are a failure. That doesn't mean something is wrong with you. You are only going through, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, please. You are only going through what every other believer is passing. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. You are only passing through what everybody else is passing through. The devil will tell you, you are facing this because it is what you, you did yesterday or you did last year. You have this problem today because something is wrong with you. Let's read this one very quickly. Everybody want to go. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able? Say, everything I'm passing through, I have capacity to overcome. Because God is not wicked. How many of you will take your two-year-old child, just learning to walk, and ask him to jump here by himself? Or maybe your one-and-a-half-year-old child. You won't do that. You can tell your five-year-old because they have strong limbs already. And they, can, they, they have the sense to do it. So you will not ask a child to do what he is not able to do. How do you think what you are going through now is not something God sees that you have capacity to pass through? The Bible says he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with that same temptation, he will also make a way of escape. Hallelujah! That you may be able to bear it. The way of escape doesn't mean you are able to just get out of it. It says that you may be able to do what? Read it. These are scriptures we don't like to read. Read it. Read it. Last, last line. That you may be able to bear it. If God wants you to carry something for three years, then be ready to bear it for three years. Don't try to pray out of it. Because there is a fruit, there is a crown, there is a glory that awaits you. When you go into university to study a course, they tell you it will last for four years. At the end of the fourth year, they give you a degree, a qualification. Now, you cannot excel with first class cumulative point average in year one, two, three, and say that you have done it now. And then they say year four, you need to do a big dissertation and you look at it, you say, ah, I can't do that. And do they give you the, do they say, oh, you have tried, tried, now come and take the degree and go? No, they don't. <laughs> they give you that degree when you have gone through the whole course. The same way it happens in natural life, that is how it happens. There are people praying for breakthroughs, praying for God, take me to the next level. Take me to, I want to manifest for you. I want to do this for you. Then you say, okay, now, for the next three years, you are going to have to stay here and learn of me. You are going to have to listen and be disciplined. One of the reasons God told me to stay in work is to keep my head correct. He said, keep subjecting yourself to men who will have authority over you because it will help your head never to get too big. So I deliberately subject myself. Since ministry has started nine years ago, and even before then, I have put myself, even though I do personal business and run my own business, I have put myself in paid employment so that I can have people who can say this and tell me off when I need to be told off. And then I have spiritual mentors that I have to listen to to put me on check every time. You must all understand that it is important for you as a person to know how to endure. He said, you will be able to bear it. Say, I will be able to bear it. In the name of Jesus. So Christians should not be surprised. We can go on and on. John 16, 33. Just write that down. No need to project it. 
He said, you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. But Yemi quoted it when he was doing Power Tower. Those of you that miss out on Power Tower, you miss out a lot, a lot of times. In that five minutes of sharing, some of the brethren throw some big arrows like that. And if you catch them at that time, it only helps you further in the service. We start 9.30, be here 9.30 to pray till 10. And God will bless you as you do so in Jesus' name. He said, but be of good cheer, he has overcome. So we are therefore called to trust God for victory through every trial of faith. Some scriptural, other scriptural references. First Peter chapter 4. Let's read this one from verse 12 to verse 16. We are going to read it together very quickly. First Peter chapter 4 from verse 12 to 16. We are called to trust God for victory. Hallelujah. Let's go together. Thank you, media. Very beautiful presentations today. Let's go. Everybody. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fairy trial which is to try you. As though some strange thing happened to you. Can you imagine somebody telling some, exhorting some people about the problem they are about to have? You know, that is not a common way of our messages in our generation. Everything you hear is that you are, you are free, you are free, you are free, which is true. But here was a man talking from the deep spirit of God. He said, there is a fairy trial which is to try you. He said, do not think it strange. Don't think anything is wrong with you. Let's go to verse 13. Verse 13. Together, everybody, let's go now. What did he say they should do? But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you want to be a strong Christian, go and look at everything Christ suffered for you. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to suffer those things again to be saved. But they are type of the things that you may need to go through again, even though he has given you victory. This is what it's all about. He said, you should rejoice that you partake of Christ's suffering. Verse 14. Everybody, let's go. Verse 14. Verse 14 now. If you are, verse 14. Is there anybody there? Let's go. He says, if you are reproached, say with me, if you are reproached for the sake, for the name of Christ, Blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. That, that is verse 14. That is verse 14. Now verse 15. Say with me. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Verse 15. If somebody is leaving, please let, 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 your, let, let it be known. Okay, verse 15 now. Please project verse 15. Thank you. Let's go together again. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. So conduct yourself with discipline. Don't just do things anyhow and say, oh, it is Christian suffering. If you are a busybody in other people's matters, you are bound to suffer. You are bound to be seen as somebody who is a hypocrite. You are bound to face things. People will not like you because you are a person that is causing dissension among brethren. He said, don't suffer as a murderer. Don't suffer as a thief. Don't do those things that are contrary to the word of God and yet say you are suffering. He said, don't be an evildoer. So we must put the balance. Yes, 
We go through trials. Yes, we go through situations. But the truth is, you, the Bible says, having done all, you stand. You stay in a place of compliance first. Not every trial that a person goes through is as a result of the trials of life, of temptations that God has permitted. Some are purely caused by the persons themselves. So let us make that distinction very clear. That's not what I'm talking about today. If you are somebody who is very unruly and you have no regard for the marital institution, you don't simply understand the simple commandment to love your wife and submit to your own husband and have a smooth fellowship together in koinonia, then you can't say you are going through trials because you are refusing to follow the simple instruction that God gave concerning that divine and that gracious institution called marriage. If you are somebody who just does your work anyhow and you cause problem in the workplace and then people are trying to get rid of you and they are scheming very hard to get rid of you, don't say that you are going through trial. No, you are not going through trial. You are as a busybody in other people's matters. Those kind of things must not be named among Christians. When they say, oh, this matter was said and somebody told me this, somebody told me that, that name of that person must never be the name of a Christian. It brings reproach to the God we serve. So I want to make it clear, I won't go back to this kind of thing because that is not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about a Christian, sincere, genuine. You know one of the things that gives me confidence? Anytime something is happening around me, I check myself first. The first thing the Bible says you should do is examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13.5 Examine yourself to see if you be in the faith. Stay where we are. Go to verse 15. Go to verse 16 now. Go to verse 16. Thank you. He said what? Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Don't be ashamed to suffer as a Christian. Examine yourself. If you have done nothing wrong, and by the grace of God, the Spirit of God is inside you, this is not your head assessment, but an inner witness. If you have done something wrong, the Holy Spirit will tell you. He will say, you know what? What you said last time to your child is wrong. That is why you are getting this. He will say what you said to your wife or the way you treated your, your husband. This is what is wrong. Then you don't say, oh, I'm persecuted. No, at that point you say, Lord, forgive me. Then you go to the person and make peace. That is what it's about. But when you have done everything correctly and the Holy Spirit just tells you, son, be strengthened. Or my daughter, be strengthened. You are suffering as a Christian. Don't be ashamed about it. Everyone must understand this, especially if you are in any form of leadership whatsoever. It is very easy to feel failure as a leader. This is why most people are afraid of leadership. It is the easiest place to feel a sense of failure. And it is the easiest place the devil comes to you when you have left the crowd and you are by yourself. The devil comes to you and says, can you see yourself now? <laughs> you are a failure. You can't succeed in this thing. Do you know that? Can you see A? Can you see B? Can you see C? Do you remember three years ago? That is A, B, C. Do you remember six years ago? A, B, C. And then you say, that's true. This is why many people hang their gloves and give it up and say, I can't do this. They say, all, all the men, can you see all the men around you? They have good marriage, everybody's, everything is going well. Who told you <laughs> that they are not passing through their own fiery tires? But the devil will make you see that there's something wrong with you. But when you know you have stood and you are doing everything, the Bible says, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. So I am not ashamed to do what God said I should do and then yet feel that the devil is trying to make me feel I'm a failure about it. You are built to endure like that. Friends, we can have many other scriptures. First Peter 5, 8 to 10 tells us that we should be sober, we should be vigilant. 
and we should know that the enemy is going about seeking whom he may devour. He said to whom you must resist steadfastly. Resist him steadfastly. Put James 4, 7 to me, for me. Resist him steadfastly. But please make a note of 1 Peter 5 from verse 8 to verse 10. The Bible says you should resist him. When he comes to suggest bad things to your mind, resist him. When he tells you that something is wrong with you, resist him. John, James chapter 4, verse 7. James chapter 4, verse 7. Thank you. James chapter 4, verse 7. The Bible says, therefore, let's go together. Therefore, let's go together now. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When you are in submission to God, it simply means you are completely yielding. Submission to God is not a lip service. Submission to God is a heart matter. You are not resisting God in any way. You are humble before him. You are in total reverence of him, his power, his grace. You, you allow him, even when it is not convenient, you submit to him. The reason why many of us are not seeing the devil being fleeing from us and as we are trying to resist is because we are not first submitted to God. Because the devil is not running away from you, he's, he's running away from the God you are submitted to. So when you don't submit to God, and then you say, now, devil, I resist you, I resist you in the name of Jesus. The devil says, I'm not going. I'm not going whatever you want to say. I'm not going. And then you are wondering, Lord, I'm praying like everybody else. No, do the first thing. Submit to God first. Be humble first. Know very well that you are nothing without him. And then when you are fully submitted to God, and you have the backing of heaven, and you know that God is truly fighting on your side, when you resist the devil, he has no choice. He flees from you, not because of you, but because of the God you are now submitted to. These are basic things that we must understand that if we are going to endure hardship or hardness as a true soldier of Christ, we must have these capacities in us and understandings as well. You see, in military settings, endurance is considered as the ability of a force to sustain high levels of combat power. I read this and I liked it. He said this, ability of a force to sustain high levels. Thank you, you can remove that scripture. The ability of a force to sustain high levels of combat potential. High levels of combat potential relative to its opponent over the duration of a campaign. The ability of a force to sustain high levels of combat potential opposite and against its opponent over the duration of the campaign. Whether the campaign is for one day or for one year or is for eight months. We are witnesses of wars in our days and age. I was born during a war, a civil war, the biggest war that has ever been fought in my home country. And I was born right in the middle of it, even though they said those of us born... That part of the year, we were, we were very lucky that the, the firing power had gone down because the war had been on for about 24 months before I was born. But the reality is that I was born in a war. And I kept on asking as I grew older, became 10-year-old. It was still fresh in the minds of people. I said, how did you survive? And they were telling me how they moved from house to house, just like those who survived the Second World War, moved from underground station to underground station in London when Hitler was bombing everywhere in London. And the, 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 the late queen was one of those youngsters at that time, a teenager, rousing other teenagers with her, telling them not to worry. We had broadcasts prayed to us just last week. Fantastic stuff going on. 
In a war, you must have sustaining power in a physical war. The reason they wear clothes like this is because you can wear something like this for the next six months without needing to wash it. <laughs> because that is not your priority at that time. <laughs> no chance for washing. This is warfare. Focus. Hallelujah. So they wear things like this. They sleep on the ground. They come out. When they rub in the sun, the thing shines more instead of, <laughs> instead of getting dirty. It shines some more. So we need to know how to sustain power. Who, we who are Christians must not be willy-nilly people. If we are going to do this great commission of getting disciples for Christ, there is no chance to be people who are just soft, who cannot even understand how to resist the enemy. You must have the ability inside you to sustain high levels of combat power. I have not brought this message to scare you in any way. And I have not brought it to trivialize whatever you may be going through. But I want you to know that you serve a God who is not wicked. He will not allow you to pass through more than you are able to bear. And as you are going through it, know very well that you are coming out with a testimony. I say you are coming out with a testimony. And when you come out with that testimony, you can strengthen others by it. This is what we need to understand. This kind of staying power is demanded through every trial, no matter how short, no matter how long. Every one of us must have this personally. And then as soldiers, we must also understand the place of koinonia, the communal power that we must generate. Every soldier is trained individually first to grow stamina, to grow capacity. They run hurdles, they run against the wind on mountains. They build their lungs to sustain them for different kinds of falling when they, they have to parachute from a helicopter. They go into difficult terrains, they run through swamps. They are trained to be able to carry weapons through swamps. They are trained to be able to push tanks and those kind of warfare uh, equipment through very difficult terrains and make them work again because they will need to do those things. When I started civil engineering, we learned that one of the things why civil engineering is the oldest engineering outside the, uh, the uh, oldest engineering discipline available to everybody outside the military is because in the First World War, there was only military engineering. Engineering was all military, and all they were doing then is they were building forts and quick bridges and machines and equipment that allowed them to move through difficult terrains in the early 1900s. So everybody was a military engineer. When the war finished, it looked like there's nothing to fight now, and so what do we do? So they now decided to create another form of engineering called civilian. It was initially called civilian engineering. So the military continued, they still continue to today, but then we now have civil engineering out of the civilian. So civil, that is why today we are building houses, we build bridges, we build dams, we build any other thing that all the lazy, other lazy engineers cannot build. <laughs> civil engineers do everything else that you can think of that all those other lazy guys cannot do. <laughs> Just a joke, but the reality is that civil engineers were carved out of that. But every form of military firepower that we have is based on first that people are trained individually and then they are trained to work in a communal place. So we need to learn some examples. One person that had personal firepower and combat power in him was no doubt Paul. I doubt if any apostle met the match of Paul when it comes to endurance, when it comes to this same power. This man was was thrown, everything that you can throw at a human being was thrown at him. 
This is what he said to the Corinthians. And let's learn from it. Last week we were quoting from 1 Thessalonians 2.14 when he was encouraging that church. Please remember that. 1 Thessalonians 2.14 and 15. But let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 from verse 23 to verse 27. I wonder myself how a man with flesh and blood like me could have gone through the things that Paul went through. Number one. Let's read it together from verse 23 to verse 27. 2 Corinthians 11 from verse 23 to verse 27. I'll read it now. It says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. Is anybody able to project? Thank you. Verse 24. Let's read verse 24 now. Everybody, please, let's read verse 24 together. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. You know, we always say Paul doesn't want to say he received 39 stripes, just like Christ received 39 stripes. So he always, but he was actually caned 39 times. But just out of his reverence for Christ, he recorded it as 40 minus one. <laughs> he doesn't want to equate himself to Christ at all. He said, from the Jews, let's go. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Let's go to verse 25. Verse 25, quickly please. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day. And I have been in the deep. One was caused by people. One was caused by elements. So that you can understand. The persecution may come from people. It may come from the elements. It may come from your natural circumstances. He said, I was shipwrecked. That is not a human being's problem. It is something that definitely the devil set in his way to try to derail him. He said, a night and a day and I have been in the deep. Look at verse 26. Verse 26. He continues, verse 26. Let's go together. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among... I mean, this is the peak of it. This is the peak of it. He said, in many of my journeys, I have, I have suffered persecution in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, those that I have been sent to. First, he said, in perils of the Jew. Remember in verse 24? He said, in perils of the Jew. From the Jews, I, was, I suffered five, 40 stripes minus one. But now he said, even in the Gentiles, in perils in the city, when I'm in, among the civilized, when I'm in the place where things should be better, in perils of the wilderness where I am journeying through and I'm passing those things, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren. Friends, this is, this is the peak at which a man can demonstrate endurance. And keep going despite all this. Let's go to verse 27. Let's go to verse 27. Everybody, let's read verse 27. In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness. Paul basically says, no earthly thing was able to stop me. When he wrote in Romans chapter 8, he said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall persecution, shall trials, shall those things be strong enough to separate us? Friends, where is your faith today? Where is your faith today? Is your faith based on what you experience as a person? Is it based on what you experience as a person, whether it is good or bad? 
when it is good, faith is high. When it is not so good or adverse, then you throw away your faith, you throw away your brethren. I want us to be a strong people in this church. I want us to be people who are very resilient. I say people who are very resilient. People who can endure. Friends, I humbly submit before you today, if not for the power of endurance, I cannot be standing before you today. This church would have not even got off the ground. As a 16-year-old, I had many reasons to say, man, this is, Christianity is not for me. Just at age 16, I had many reasons. Everything around me then looked as if God was not faithful. But I realized from then that that is the time God proved his faithfulness the most. And I went through university, went through things. And this is 30 years on by the grace of God, 30 plus years on by the grace of God. And I keep seeing that what keeps a Christian going is the ability to endure. Every one of us must understand this. If you are going to attain anything for good or for God, you must learn how to endure. You must know how to have that staying power. The Bible says, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness. So everyone can learn from the story of Paul. Now, we may not all be thrown all these things that Paul went through, but remind yourself that if a human being can go through all this and yet he comes out to say that he endured all things for the sake of Christ, you and I have no business whatsoever not to be enduring. And may God input in every one of us this endurance in Jesus' name. Typical endurance enablers, I'll quickly look at some things that we can learn from soldiers. I say one thing is to have a personal staying power. Another thing is to have a communal staying power. One thing about soldiers is their togetherness and the staying power that they get from their communal spirit. When they come together in their regiments and they come together, we're going to look at how they live next, next week because we're talking about the differences between them and civilians in next week. Because Paul said anyone who is engaged in warfare must not entangle himself with civilian affairs. That's what next week's theme is all about. But just looking at their capacity to generate endurance as a communal group today, the first thing is that they are people of vision and optimism. Say with me, vision and optimism. What do I mean by that? Like Christ, soldiers have victory in view always. No soldier goes to war and ever thinks that as he's going to this battle, he, you know, he's, not, he's going with a picture of victory in mind. Now, of course, they understand that that may mean that they lose everything, but that is something that they put to one side. Because if they look at the potential of them dying or the potential of them injured and things, they can never see the picture of victory. There are people that have been through many wars, not once, not twice. They've been through many wars and yet God has caused them to live to tell the stories much later on. So we must all understand that as Christians... We are not designed by God to be casualties of war. However, we must see ourselves as people who are ready that if God decides that any time in this battle of life that he wants to call any of us home, we must not feel that God does not know what he's doing. And I'm very, very cautious at what I'm saying here. It's not a curse on you. It is part of trusting the sovereignty of God and his capacity to manifest himself as you go through life's challenges. But what I can tell you is that with God, everybody 
is built to fulfill purpose and to fulfill their destinies. And you will fulfill your destiny in Jesus' name. I say it again, and I'm not just boasting about this, but the truth is, if the devil can kill anybody before their time, I would have died not less than 10 times before today over my life that I can recollect through many things that would have easily claimed my life. Many things that if I tell you the stories today, you will know that only God saved me from those situations. So I am not afraid that, and, and I'm, I'm not afraid to also tell God's people that the devil cannot take you before your time, but you must be willing at every time to keep your vision of God and his kingdom in view. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 tells us about Jesus Christ. He said we should be looking unto Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith. The Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him. What did he do? He endured the cross. Can I have Hebrews 12 too? He endured the cross. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. And he's now sat down at the right hand of God the Father. We learn from Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Right now, he is the author of our faith. That is why we are Christians. We gave our lives to him. And we gave our hearts to him. And we invited him also to come into our hearts, to take ownership. That is why we say we make him Lord of our lives. So he's the author. But we must understand that there is a journey between the authorship and the finishing. It's a journey of progression, a journey whereby we must survive a lot of trials and tribulations. And Jesus is the one who will sustain us by his grace. But what did Jesus do? He had a vision. Joy was set before him. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. This is why no matter what they said to him on the cross did not mean anything. We have believers today who are moved by what people say to them or say about them. We have believers today who cannot see how they, can, they need to despise the shame. They are told in their families, they are told by their friends, they are told by social media that they are, they are, that they are loons and, or they are crazy people and then they feel bad. They're told when they are waiting on God seriously and just deciding to be people of integrity because they are waiting on God and they trust God. They're told that they are fools. They're too slow. Come and do a fast one here. Everybody's doing it. What's wrong with you? This, your Christianity is too much. Why must you go to church every Sunday? Are you the only one? Did you kill Jesus? Have you heard that one? <laughs> are you the one that killed Jesus? <laughs> Even the people who killed Jesus, they don't go. <laughs> All kinds of things. And people feel shame. Oh, I'm ashamed by this. I don't feel ashamed about anything. I don't. Because the Bible says, they that put their trust in the Lord their God shall never be put to shame. I thank God for my life. I thank God for my wife. I thank God for my children. I thank God for my job. I thank God for this church. I thank God for my business. I thank God for every ministry I have. I thank God for everything. I am grateful. I am so grateful. I am blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. The devil can never, ever convince me that anything should put me to shame. We have a believer generation today who are not, who feel ashamed, even of their own faith. They cannot confidently say, I am a Christian. They are ashamed of Christ. Because they have no vision of that same Christ who has gone to prepare a place for them. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. He said, if you were not so, I would not have told you so. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. Can you see that vision? He had a vision. He had a joy set before him. So that joy helped him to endure the cross, despise the shame. And then he got to that vision. Today he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible says at his right hand are what? 
pleasures forevermore. That was the joy that was set before him. Everyone Christian must understand when you lose staying power with your brethren, it means you have lost the picture all the brethren are seeing. They are not more engraced than you. They are only holding on to the image and the joy that is hereafter, the glory that is to come. Some other biblical examples to, fall, to look at as people, for example, when David faced Goliath, very popular story, quoted in many ways under many circumstances. But what was David's power? The vision of Goliath coming down. So nothing could stop him, not his brothers, not King Saul. None of those things were strong enough to make him feel inferior. King Saul said, you are a youth. This guy has been a warrior from his youth. That was enough to tell David to go back home. This is the king, a trained warrior, making an analysis, what we, today we will call a risk assessment. <laughs> he did a risk assessment and said, by all means, you are, carrying, you are undergoing this at a very, very high risk. And the advice of this assessment is that you should wear my weapon. <laughs> the outcome of this, to mitigate this risk you are facing, is to wear my weapon. And not to be rude, David put them on, but he could not move from there. David said, I have not proved this. He said, so what will he do? Then he began to say, I have a testimony and I have a vision. The Lord delivered the lion and the bear to my hand some time back. I was only there. I have a testimony. But I have a vision. When he got to the vision, he was not talking to Saul anymore. He was talking to Goliath. He said, this day I will cut off your head and bring it down and I will feed your body to the birds of the air. His vision. Somebody say his vision. Do you have a vision? I'm not saying vision of whether you will do ministry or you will plant a church because that's what people understand as vision. When you say, do you have a vision? I say, no, God has not called me. Who told you about that? <laughs> what is the vision you have for your family? What is the vision you have for your wife? What is the vision you have for your husband? Go through the Bible. See what God said about them. That is your vision. I and the sons that the Lord has given for me, we are for signs and wonders. That is my only vision. I see nothing else. I see nothing else. You are the one seeing whatever you see anywhere. I see signs and wonders. Hallelujah. I see potential in God's hands. I see arrows in God's hands. Hallelujah. I don't see this church as the people you see today. No, 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 no. Long, long, long. I see a mighty army. I see a people who are taking ground spiritually, who are making the rounds where they walk, who have a testimony of God being on their side. That is the people I see. What do you see? Every combatant soldier is told that this is the land we want to conquer and they tell them how they are going to build their tents and put their structures in that land when they get there. That is the picture they see. David saw Goliath coming down. His head chopped off. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 48 and verse 49. Very quickly you can put it on. He says, so it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Verse 49. This is 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 49 now. He said, then David put his hand in the bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. Thank you. The man who was threatening just a few minutes before. The man who looked indomitable. The man who looked unconquerable, if there is a word like that. The man who looked like the one who would chew anybody in his path, because that is what he did traditionally, now became meat 
for the birds of the air. Just because one man was bold enough to see. Every one of us must understand that as church and as a body of Christ, globally, universally, and locally, we must be people who have a vision of victory. I say we must be people who have a vision of victory. We have it because the word of God says it. Those days we used to sing that song, God says it, I believe it, that settles it. It's one of the songs that was very good in our days. God says it, even though some of us didn't understand what we were singing, we just say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And we just dance it like that, but it's so powerful. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. If you are doubting what God said, how can you endure the smallest of trials? One of the things he said is he will never leave you nor forsake you. So no matter how dark it is, thank you for that scripture, no matter how dark it is, no matter how, how, how confusing things are, he said, yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Talks about the word of God. The rod and staff, you know what they are? Correcting me, guiding me. That is what rod and staff do. When you have a rod in your hand, when you use it to, to, to hit a, a ship, you are telling them you are going out of line, you are going out of line, come back into line. But when you take the same rod and you just point direction, you are guiding. So you say your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your corrections comfort me. Your guidance comfort me. So every one of us must understand. Joshua at the Jericho, we know that in Joshua chapter 6, verse 1 to 6, we are not going to read it. The Bible says there was a mighty wall ahead of them. God told them to go around it six times, once a day, once a time. And then on the seventh time, go around it seven times and then give a shout of victory. A wall that was about nine feet, nine, nine meters wide. It was very difficult to, to imagine it. Again, in the city I was born, I had a taste of what that wall must have looked like. It's one of those cities in northern Nigeria that uh, 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 city walls were built to protect people who were invading armies in the, in the 19th century, trying to capture slaves. And if you see those walls, they were massive structures. Some of them in, in the width that we grew to see in the 70s and 80s were as wide as this building. Some even wider in, in places. Men can build those walls, but God can pull them down. I say men can build walls, but God can pull them down. Situations of life. The Bible says in Joshua chapter 6 verse 1, he said, now Jericho was tightly shut up. None went in, none went out. It looked like a closed case. At times, many people must understand, none went in, none came out, none went out, none came in. Thank you. It looked like a closed case. It takes faith to understand that God can still make you go in. I say faith, you need faith to understand that God can still make you to go in, in the name of Jesus. It was clear, it was not a physical wall that can be put down. Every one person must understand the place of vision and optimism. Many Christians are not optimistic, they are not visionary. I have been sharing the vision of this church ever since the church was, by the grace of God, planted. But I have seen over time that it's so easy for people to lose that vision. It's so easy for people to just forget about it and see what they see today. I am not deluded. 
I'm not deluded at all. I remember from stories like this that when they look at a wall that none was going in and none was going out and they had to go around six times, it would look as if nothing was happening. Even the seventh day, seven times, it would look as if nothing was happening. The same way it looked when Elijah was praying. We need staying power to continue to believe. We need staying power to continue to trust. When vision is shared, there is the potential for things to be unsettling. And things to challenge us some more. We need staying power to understand what God is saying. Jesus was talking nice to everybody, giving bread and doing miracles of different types, turning water into wine, and massive people were following him. And then one day he said, You know what? If you are going to go well on this journey, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. They said, Ah, this man has turned to something else. <laughs> I no longer want to follow. The Bible says many people left him from that day. And when he turned around and he saw only the twelve, he asked them one question that everybody must never forget. He said, what? Will you also go away? And thank God for Peter. He said, no, to whom shall we go? The man who has the vision, the man who could see beyond the bread, the man who could see beyond the miracles of the wine, the man who could see those things that others were only seeing. He said, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We need staying power to be visionary. For us to, to have staying power, we need to be visionary. And we need to be optimistic in God. What we will call faith. We need to have faith. The whole armor of God is a forward-facing armor. Thank you for that scripture. You can read it in Ephesians 6, 14 to 17. But don't turn to it. It's a forward-facing armor. The breastplate of truth. Please take down that scripture. The breastplate of the, the, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the gospel shod with the, our feet shod with the gospel of peace, and then the shield of faith. The five of them are all defensive weapons. Nothing that covers our back. We have learned that one of the first principles we learned about the armor of God. And then the sixth one is an offensive weapon. He said the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So every one of us must understand that it is a forward-facing battle. It is a forward-facing battle. And as a people, we must trust each other that we got our backs. One of the things that soldiers do is that they face the enemy. They are sure that no other member of their team that they are ahead of is trying to shoot them from behind. No. Those in the formations at the front are so concentrated on their duties because they are the frontliners. So they are firing forward and they are getting back up. So if any of them gets shot, they are pulled back, pulled back very quickly. And those who are medics among them who never carry one gun will start to look whether they can remove that bullet and attend to that soldier because he's wounded. They say, bird down, bird down. Or all these, they are quotes. <laughs> one bird down. <laughs> and then they pull that bird and see if he's not being hit in the heart, hit in the leg. Many of them were shot. They were treated. They went back again. What do you mean? Because they believe in the cause. But in all that time, they never believe that they can be shot from their own comrades. And this takes me to point number two. The first thing is they are visionary and they are optimistic. The second thing, you have heard me preach this many times, but I want it in, as part of this message to reinforce. They have compatriotism, comradeship, and companionship. They have compatriotism, comradeship, and companionship. This means they believe in the same cause. That's what compatriotism means. They believe in the same cause. They have comradeship or camaraderie, which means that they believe they have the same enemy. They never see themselves as the enemy of one another. They have one enemy which is opposing them. 
And then they have companionship because they support one another in unity. If you are going to draw the power to endure from your friends, every one of us has a responsibility to contribute to this camaraderie, this compatriotism, and this companionship. Growing up as a believer in the body of Christ, very, very young child, one of the things I find in the church I grew up in and in the churches that is lacking in the churches today is trust. Never has trust been out of church life than we are witnessing today. Those days it was very easy. Brethren were open to each other very easily. They would tell themselves their lives so easily. And I remember sitting down in the living room with my father and some of his age mates, some of them have gone to be with the Lord and some I met just last year when I went for his burial. I met some of them last year and I remember some of those men sitting down discussing, and I'll be there. I was 10 years old, minding my own business, of course. I wasn't contributing to the conversations, but God put me there to learn. Today I can look back and learn. And they will be talking. These are just brethren in the church. No blood relationship but Christ relationship. They will talk the deepest, deepest things that was troubling them. Deepest things that the enemy has shot into their households. And then they will hold hands and pray. They were not speaking in tongues. They were evangelicals. But yet they hold hands and pray and stand on scriptures. And then they see victory. But today, we find it difficult because the very first person you tell the littlest thing takes it and tells the whole world, puts it on social media. Have you heard? Have you heard? So many pastors are dying in silence. Many pastors are, are secretly dying, rotting from the inside because there is nobody they can talk to. There's nobody, 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 nobody they can trust because the next pastor who they go and talk to will go and start telling all their members, do you know what your pastor is doing? He's a gambler. Did he tell you? <laughs> He's addicted to gambling. Lotto every week. And he confessed to me last week. He said, but let's pray for him. I came to tell you because we can pray for him, isn't it? <laughs> so instead of the man saying that I have a stronghold of gambling and I'm addicted and I cannot break from it, he can't tell anybody, so he will suffer and suffer. Or he has an eye for a girl in the church. And instead of him to go and tell his wife or tell somebody and say, you know what, I'm suffering with lust here. This may sound funny. One of my mentors told me, he said, if you lost after any woman, just tell your wife. He said, that's the end of that lust. <laughs> I never forgot that. He said to me, he said, he said it's real. He said, you, you, will be, you, will, you, will feel, you will feel something to some members of your church from time to time because it's natural. He said, but if it turns to lust and it's like you want that person, he said, just call your wife and say, you know what, I don't want you to do anything but pray with me. I'm lusting after this person. <laughs> I thank God I've not had cause to do that. <laughs> but it's very good advice. I've imagined it many times that it, that will be the end of the lust. <laughs> if not the end of the woman, <laughs> in my own case. <laughs> but by the grace of God, we will not get to that. But it's good counsel. Confess to your wife. Confess if you, can, if you are the woman and say, I just can't resist that pastor. <laughs> you better tell your husband. <laughs> Say, I don't know when the man just stands like that. I just feel cold. Hey, ah, tell your husband. The husband will say, honey, I will pray for you. And if it doesn't go, we will leave that church today. <laughs> this will be the end before you go and do what you don't need to do. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
compatriotism. First, first Samuel chapter 23, David's mighty men, verse 1. First Samuel 23, verse 1. They told David, saying, look, the Philistines, I'll go to verse 5. Verse, first Samuel 23, verse 1 to 5. They told David, saying, look, the Philistines are fighting against Kilia, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack and save Kilia. The Lord said, go and attack and face Kilia. Verse 3. Let's read verse 3 together. And see how we walk on camaraderie. Verse 3. Okay, everybody go. But David's men said to him, look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then verse 4, verse 4, verse 4, very quickly, verse 4. Then David, verse 4 now, then David inquired of the Lord, verse 4. Then David inquired, say with me, then David inquired of the Lord once again, and the Lord answered and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. Don't forget, David was about to go with his men. They expressed fear. David went to pray and asked God. This is what I want us to understand in terms of church compatriotism, camaraderie, and companionship. God will always direct his people. And we must learn to be able to follow. Look at the next verse in verse 5. We must learn to be able to submit to what God is doing. Everybody, let's go now. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Because God said so. And David and his men. Camaraderie means that they understood they had one enemy and they understood that God was their fighting force. So there was no doubt when God, if you read the scriptures further on, the Bible says that they asked again of God and God said they should not fight in that case and they stood there. So it's not just all about fighting and making progress, it's about believing God to be compatriots. Psalm 133 verse 1, he said, Behold, how good. And how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Psalm 133, verse 1. It is good for brethren to dwell together in unity. Thank you. It is good. It is pleasant. Soldiers have a confidence of their united force because they are in unity. They are always sinking together. Next week, when we look at how they live in regiments and their formations, we will see why they build trust over time. And they understand the strength of each person. And they are able to support one another. We need to learn that our ability to be compatriot means that we believe in Christ together. Our ability to be comrades means that we know that we have one enemy together. The day the devil succeeds in making you see me as your enemy or making me see you as my enemy, then he has succeeded in breaking our camaraderie. Never allow the devil to convince you that your husband is your enemy or your wife is your enemy when you are both serving God. I'm not talking of just ordinary situations. But when you are both submitted to God truly and sincerely, you can never be the enemies of each other. Never. Your children cannot be your enemy. You cannot be enemies to your children. So when the devil comes in and he paints that picture, he has twisted the spirit of camaraderie 
and put it inside your midst so that you can see each other as enemies. Show me a church that will go somewhere. They are a church that are truly compatriots and comrades. They believe in Christ together. They believe he's the final authority together. They believe in leadership together. They believe in vision together. They believe in faith together. No doubt, no one breaking ranks, no one thinking else. And they believe only one enemy every time. His name is Satan. He's the enemy of the church. Jesus calls him the gates of hell. So if we want to be the church that Jesus is building, we have no choice. We have to be compatriots and we have to be comrades every time in every way. Then we must understand that our fellowship should give us companionship. We should have trusting power in one another. Not tr- trusting in God and trusting one another with the things that we need to trust one another. We don't trust in one another because we cannot do anything for each other. But we trust God. We trust in God. And we trust one another that when we share our burdens, we can have confidence that our brethren will stand with us at all times. Then we find the grace to endure. There are some things I have been through by reason of the time of existence I've been on earth that some of you have not gone through yet or you are just going through. I'm just giving my own personal example. There are loads of people around the room that you can, that can say the same. And the truth is, I can easily tell you how God helped me to go through those stages. When I did school runs for 14 years in this country, I thought I was going to run mad at a point. You go, you come back, you go, you come back, you go, you come back. Then you reach there again, one of them say, I have cookery club. You say, what is cookery club? (laughs) Cookery what? Get your bag and let's go home. Cookery club. (laughs) Hallelujah. I go and sit under a tree and wait because I can't go home for cookery club of 45 minutes. It takes me, <laughs> takes me 20 minutes to drive home, 20 minutes to drive back. That's 40 minutes. So it means I'll stay only five minutes at home. So I'll stay there under a tree. And those days, there was no Wi-Fi, no nothing. Some of our phones were so basic. 2003, 4, 5, 6, those kind of times. The phones were so basic, so there's very little you can do. <laughs> But today, it looks like history to me. Some of you will look at me and say, uh, Pastor, you are very lucky. It's not luck. I went through it. I went through it, seriously. My wife would go and work nights. She was studying Monday to Friday. She, will, she, will, she was studying. And then Friday night, Saturday night, she would go and work in a contract that she has. Friday night, Saturday night, and I think Sunday night. Because Monday morning, she would go to school. Monday to Friday. That's how she did her own degree. And she would still be in church. I would wake up and bath my children. Put three of them in the bath. One day, I saw, I used to bath them one by one. So one day, I saw one of my friends came and visited, and he lined up three of them. (laughs) Huh? And he was washing them like a factory plant. (laughs) I said to him, I said, bro, he said, I said, is it possible? He said, am I not doing it? (laughs) He said, my mother has seven of us. She has no time. She will line us up like that. When she puts soap for this one, she's washing the next one, put this one. I say, God bless you, brother. You have taught me something today. <laughs> so while they were in the appropriate age, I line all of them up. I wash them at the same time. <laughs> so what are you telling me? Today, because you see one carry car, and he say, Dad, bye, Dad. You say, that man is lucky. It's not luck. I've endured. I've paid that price. I am enduring today. I'm paying some other price that you don't know about. Let's not talk too much today. 
Let me conclude this before, <laughs> before we take communion. You don't know. This is what military is. When the general starts in the front and he says, this is what we're going to do in formation 646 when we go through this. He is not talking theory. He's telling you that 10 years ago he led as a colonel because they went through certain things. They saw certain things. They know that terrain. So he's giving instructions today because he has experience. And then he tells them confidently, this is the formation we will use to attack them this time because he has experience. Today, we disregard experience in the body of Christ. We disregard leaders because we think that we know everything. There are things, and I'm not boasting, there are things I know that God has taken me through, not because I read it like you have read it. I have experienced it. So when, as a general, I stand and say, let's go, let's move, what I'm saying is that I am confident in God because no true general will lead his uh, uh, troops to the place where he knows clearly they will be destroyed. No true general would do that. I conclude with Romans chapter 8 verse 18 for us to realize that there is victory lying ahead every time. He said, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Do you believe that there is a glory ahead? I said, do you believe there is a glory ahead? One of, the, one of the biggest strengths I have in the work I do today by the grace and mercies of God in the university I serve, I am in strategic management, but because I have been operational for long and I've been at the level where you are hands-on and doing it at the cold face, I can understand the temperaments of people. I can see the complications very easily. Most managers who have passed through and were not just put in will always have confidence. When they see the storm, because they know that some things can come and bring a shock, because they were hands-on, they faced it just a few years before, they would tell the team, calm down, this is what we'll do. Just calm down, calm down. It's a dire situation, it could cost us a lot, but this is what we do. I've been through it. Paul said, for I know the sufferings of this present time are not worthy compared. There is a glory that awaits you when you pass through it. You can confidently tell your children, confidently tell your brethren that there is nothing to fear. There is nothing to worry about. I want us all to speak like Paul, and that is what we will break bread on today. From 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Everybody will read from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and verse 8. That is the victory we have. Can I have 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7? I hope it's not me. You are giving the countdown clock. <laughs> 2 Timothy chapter 4, from verse 7 to verse 8. Praise the Lord. Let's read it together. Paul said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Verse 8. Finally, verse 8 now, thank you, verse 8. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing, which includes you and I. He says, not to him only. Let us be willing to fight the fight. Let's be willing to pursue to the end. Let's be willing to endure. There is nobody that you see that looks like, in many cases, that looks like they have not done something, that, that looks like they are free from something, in many cases, that have not passed through it. So don't ever, ever think that what you are going through now is something that is meant to kill you. If they went through it, you will go through it as well. I say, if they went through it and they succeeded, you will succeed as well. In the name of Jesus. We are going to break bread. Well, well.